chapter fifty five of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray chapter fifty five fanny's occupations gone good helen ever since her son's illness had taken as we have seen entire possession of the young man of his drawers and closets and all which they contained whether shirts that wanted buttons or stockings that required mending or must it be owned letters that lay amongst those articles of raiment and which of course it was necessary that somebody should answer during arthur's weakened and incapable condition perhaps mrs pendennis was laudably desirous to have some explanations about the dreadful fanny bolton mystery regarding which she had never breathed a word to her son though it was present in her mind always and occasioned her inexpressible anxiety and disquiet she had caused the brass knocker to be screwed off the inner door of the chambers whereupon the postman's startling double rap would as she justly argued disturb the rest of her patient and she did not allow him to see any letter which arrived whether from bootmakers who importuned him or hatters who had a heavy account to make up against next saturday and would be very much obliged if mr arthur pendennis would have the kindness to settle etc of these documents pen who was always free-handed and careless of course had his share and though no great one one quite enough to alarm his scrupulous and conscientious mother she had some savings pen's magnificent self-denial and her own economy amounting from her great simplicity and avoidance of show to parsimony almost had enabled her to put by a little sum of money a part of which she delightedly consecrated to the paying off the young gentleman's obligations at this price many a worthy youth and respected reader would hand over his correspondence to his parents and perhaps there is no greater test of a man's regularity and easiness of conscience than his readiness to face the postman blessed is he who is made happy by the sound of the rat-tat the good are eager for it but the naughty tremble at the sound thereof so it was very kind of mrs pendennis doubly to spare pen the trouble of hearing or answering letters during his illness there could have been nothing in the young man's chest of drawers and wardrobes which could be considered as inculpating him in any way nor any satisfactory documents regarding the fanny bolton affair found there for the widow had to ask her brother-in-law if he knew anything about the odious transaction and the dreadful intrigue about which her son was engaged when they were at richmond one day and pen with warrington had taken a seat on a bench on the terrace the widow kept major pendennis in consultation and laid her terrors and perplexities before him such of them at least for as is the want of men and women she did not make quite a clean confession and i suppose no spendthrift asked for a schedule of his debts no lady of fashion asked by her husband for her dressmaker's bills ever sent in the whole of them yet 
such we say of her perplexities at least as she chose to confide to her director for the time being when then she asked the major what course she ought to pursue about this dreadful this horrid affair and whether he knew anything regarding it the old gentleman puckered up his face so that you could not tell whether he was smiling or not gave the widow one queer look with his little eyes cast them down to the carpet again and said my dear good creature i don't know anything about it and i don't wish to know anything about it and as you ask me my opinion i think you had best know nothing about it too young men will be young men begad and my good man if you think our boy is a joe pray spare me this helen broke in looking very stately my dear creature i did not commence the conversation permit me to say the major said bowing very blandly i can't bear to hear such a sin such a dreadful sin spoken of in such a way the widow said with tears of annoyance starting from her eyes i can't bear to think that my boy should commit such a crime i wish he had died almost before he had done it i don't know how i survive it myself for it is breaking my heart major pendennis to think that his father's son my child whom i remember so good oh so good and full of honour should be fallen so dreadfully low as to as to as to flirt with a little grisette my dear creature said the major egad if all the mothers in england were to break their hearts because nay nay upon my word and honour now don't agitate yourself don't cry i can't bear to see a woman's tears i never could never but how do we know that anything serious has happened has arthur said anything his silence confirms it sobbed mrs pendennis behind her pocket-handkerchief not at all there are subjects my dear about which a young fellow cannot surely talk to his mamma insinuated the brother-in-law she has written to him cried the lady behind the cambric what before he was ill nothing more likely no sense the mourner with the baptiste mask gasped out not before that is i don't think so that is i only since and you have yes i understand i suppose when he was too ill to read his own correspondence you took charge of it did you i am the most unhappy mother in the world cried out the unfortunate helen the most unhappy mother in the world because your son is a man and not a hermit have a care my dear sister if you have suppressed any letters to him you may have done yourself a great injury and if i know anything of arthur's spirit may cause a difference between him and you which you'll rue all your life a difference that's a devilish deal more important my good madam than the little little trumpery cause which originated it there was only one letter broke out helen only a very little one only a few words here it is oh how can you how can you speak so when the good soul said only a very little one the major could not speak at all so inclined was he to laugh in spite of the agonies of the poor soul before him and for whom he had a hearty pity and liking too but each was looking at the matter with his or her peculiar eyes and views of morals and the major's morals as the reader knows were not those of an ascetic i recommend you he gravely continued if you can to seal it up those letters ain't unfrequently sealed with wafers and to put it amongst pen's other letters and let him have them when he calls for them 
or if we'll can seal it we can mistook it for bill i can't tell my son a lie said the widow it had been put silently into the letter-box two days previous to their departure from the temple and had been brought to mrs pendennis by martha she had never seen fanny's handwriting of course but when the letter was put into her hands she knew the author at once she had been on the watch for the letter every day since pen had been ill she had opened some of his other letters because she wanted to get at that one she had the horrid paper poisoning her bag at that moment she took it out and offered it to her brother-in-law arthur pendennis esq he read in a timid little sprawling handwriting and with a sneer on his face no my dear i won't read any more but you who have read it may tell me what the letter contains only prayers for his health in bad spelling you say and a desire to see him well there's no harm in that and as you ask me here the major began to look a little queer for his own part and put on his demure look as you ask me my dear for information why i don't mind telling you that ah that morgan my man has made some inquiries regarding this affair and that my friend dr goodenough also looked into it and it appears that this person was greatly smitten with arthur that he paid for her and took her to vauxhall gardens as morgan heard from an old acquaintance of pens and ours an irish gentleman who was very nearly once having the honour of being the from an irishman in fact that the girl's father a violent man of intoxicated habits has beaten her mother who persists in declaring her daughter's entire innocence to her husband on the one hand while on the other she told good enough that arthur has acted like a brute to her child and so you see the story remains in a mystery will you have it cleared up i have but to ask pen and he will tell me at once he is as honourable a man as ever lived honourable said the widow with bitter scorn oh brother what is this you call honour if my boy has been guilty he must marry her i would go down on my knees and pray him to do so good god are you mad screamed out the major and remembering former passages in arthur's history and helen's the truth came across his mind that were helen to make this prayer to her son he would marry the girl he was wild enough and obstinate enough to commit any folly when a woman he loved was in the case my dear sister have you lost your senses he continued after an agitated pause during which the above dreary reflection crossed him and in a softened tone what right have we to suppose that anything has passed between this girl and him let's see the letter her heart is breaking pray pray write to me home unhappy unkind father your nurse poor little fanny spelt as you say in a manner to outrage all sense of decorum but good heavens my dear what is there in this only that the little devil is making love to him still why she didn't come into his chambers until he was so delirious that he didn't know her what do you call him flanagan the laundress told morgan my man so she came in company of an old fellow an old mr bowes who came most kindly down to stillbrook and brought me away by the way i left him in the cab and never paid the fare and devilish kind it was of him no there's nothing in the story do you think so thank heaven thank god helen cried i'll take the letter to arthur and ask him now look at him there he's on the terrace with mr warrington they are talking to some children my boy was always fond of children he's innocent thank god thank god let me go to him old pendennis had his own opinion when he briskly took the not guilty side of the case but a moment before very likely 
the old gentleman had a different view from that which he chose to advocate and judged of arthur by what he himself would have done if she goes to arthur and he speaks the truth as the rascal will it spoils all he thought and he tried one more effort my dear good soul he said taking helen's hand and kissing it as your son has not acquainted you with this affair think if you have any right to examine it as you believe him to be a man of honour what right have you to doubt his honour in this instance who is his accuser an anonymous scoundrel who has brought no specific charge against him if there were any such wouldn't the girl's parents have come forward he is not called upon to rebut nor you to entertain an anonymous accusation and as for believing him guilty because a girl of that rank happened to be in his rooms acting as the nurse to him begad you might as well insist upon his marrying that demmed old irish gin-drinking laundress mrs flanagan the widow burst out laughing through her tears the victory was gained by the old general marry mrs flanagan by gad he continued tapping her slender hand no the boy has told you nothing about it and you know nothing about it the boy is innocent of course and what my good soul is the course for us to pursue suppose he is attached to this girl don't look sad again it's merely a supposition and begat a young fellow may have an attachment mayn't he directly he gets well he will be at her again he must come home we must go off directly to fair oaks the widow cried out my good creature he'll bore himself to death at fair oaks he'll have nothing to do but to think about his passion there there's no place in the world for making a little passion into a big one and where a fellow feeds on his own thoughts like a demmed lonely country house where there's nothing to do we must occupy him amuse him we must take him abroad he's never been abroad except to paris for a lark we must travel a little he must have a nurse with him to take great care of him for good enough says he had a devilish narrow squeak of it don't look frightened and so you must come and watch and i suppose you'll take miss bell and i should like to ask warrington to come arthur's devilish fond of warrington he can't do without warrington warrington's family is one of the oldest in england and he is one of the best young fellows i ever met in my life i like him exceedingly does mr warrington know anything about this this affair asked helen he had been away i know for two months before it happened pen wrote me so not a word i i've asked him about it i've pumped him he never heard of the transaction never i pledge you my word cried out the major in some alarm and my dear i think you had much best not talk to him about it much best not of course not the subject is most delicate and painful the simple widow took her brother's hand and pressed it thank you brother she said you have been very very kind to me you have given me a great deal of comfort i'll go to my room and think of what you have said this illness and these these emotions have agitated me a great deal and i'm not very strong you know but i'll go and thank god that my boy is innocent he is innocent isn't he sir yes my dearest creature yes said the old fellow kissing her affectionately and quite overcome by her tenderness he looked after her as she retreated with a fondness which was rendered more piquant as it were by the mixture of a certain scorn which accompanied it innocent he said i'd swear till i was black in the face he was innocent rather than give that good soul pain having achieved this victory the fatigued and happy warrior laid himself down on the sofa and put his yellow silk pocket-handkerchief over his face and indulged in a snug little nap of which the dreams no doubt were very pleasant as he snored with refreshing regularity the young men sat meanwhile dawdling away the sunshiny hours on the terrace very happy and pen at least very talkative 
he was narrating to warrington a plan for a new novel and a new tragedy warrington laughed at the idea of his writing a tragedy by jove he would show that he could and he began to spout some of the lines of his play the little solo on the wind instrument which the major was performing was interrupted by the entrance of miss bell she had been on a visit to her old friend lady rockminster who had taken a summer villa in the neighbourhood and who hearing of arthur's illness and his mother's arrival at richmond had visited the latter and for the benefit of the former whom she didn't like had been prodigal of grapes partridges and other attentions for laura the old lady had a great fondness and longed that she should come and stay with her but laura could not leave her mother at this juncture worn out by constant watching over arthur's health helen's own had suffered very considerably and dr goodenough had had a reason to prescribe for her as well as for his younger patient old pendennis started up on the entrance of the young lady his slumbers were easily broken he made her a gallant speech he had been full of gallantry towards her of late where had she been gathering those roses which she wore on her cheeks how happy he was to be disturbed out of his dreams by such a charming reality laura had plenty of humour and honesty and these two caused her to have on her side something very like contempt for the old gentleman it delighted her to draw out his worldliness and to make the old habitue of clubs and drawing-rooms tell his twaddling tales about great folks and expound his views of morals not in this instance however was she disposed to be satirical she had been to drive with lady rockminster in the park she said and she had brought home game for pen and flowers for mamma she looked very grave about mamma she had just been with mrs pendennis helen was very much worn and she feared she was very very ill her large eyes filled with tender marks of the sympathy which she felt in her beloved friend's condition she was alarmed about her could not that good that dear doctor good enough cure her arthur's illness and other mental anxiety the major slowly said had no doubt shaken helen a burning blush upon the girl's face showed that she understood the old man's allusion but she looked him full in the face and made no reply he might have spared me that she thought what is he aiming at in recalling that shame to me that he had an aim in view is very possible the old diplomatist seldom spoke without some such end dr goodenough had talked to him he said about their dear friend's health and she wanted rest and change of scene yes change of scene painful circumstances which had occurred must be forgotten and never alluded to he begged pardon for even hinting at them to miss bell he never should do so again nor he was sure would she everything must be done to soothe and comfort their friend and his proposal was that they should go abroad for the autumn to a watering-place in the rhine neighbourhood where helen might rally her exhausted spirits and arthur try and become a new man of course laura would not forsake her mother of course not it was about helen and helen only that is about arthur too for her sake that laura was anxious she would go abroad or anywhere with helen and helen having thought the matter over for an hour in her room had by that time grown to be as anxious for the tour as any schoolboy who has been reading a book of voyages is eager to go to sea whither should they go the farther the better to some place so remote that even recollection could not follow them thither so delightful that pen should never want to leave it anywhere so that he could be happy she opened her desk with trembling fingers and took out her banker's book 
and counted up her little savings if more was wanted she had the diamond cross she would borrow from laura again let us go let us go she thought directly he can bear the journey let us go away come kind doctor good enough come quick and give us leave to quit england the good doctor drove over to dine with them that very day if you agitate yourself so he said to her and if your heart beats so and if you persist in being so anxious about a young gentleman who is getting well as fast as he can we shall have you laid up and miss laura to watch you and then it will be her turn to be ill and i should like to know how the deuce a doctor is to live who is obliged to come and attend you all for nothing mrs goodenough is already jealous of you and says with perfect justice that i fall in love with my patients and you must please to get out of the country as soon as ever you can that i may have a little peace in my family when the plan of going abroad was proposed it was received by that gentleman with the greatest alacrity and enthusiasm he longed to be off at once he let his mustachios grow from that very moment in order i suppose that he might get his mouth into training for a perfect french and german pronunciation and he was seriously disquieted in his mind because the mustachios when they came were of a decidedly red colour he had looked forward to an autumn at fair oaks and perhaps the idea of passing two or three months there did not amuse the young man there is not a soul to speak to in the place he said to warrington i can't stand old portman's sermons and pompous after-dinner conversation i know all old glander's stories about the peninsular war the claverings are the only christian people in the neighbourhood and they are not to be at home before christmas my uncle says besides warrington i want to get out of the country whilst you were awake confounded i had a temptation from which i am very thankful to have escaped and which i count that even my illness came very luckily to put an end to and here he narrated to his friend the circumstances of the vauxhall affair with which the reader is already acquainted warrington looked very grave when he heard this story putting the moral delinquency out of the question he was extremely glad for arthur's sake that the latter had escaped from a danger which might have made his whole life wretched which certainly said warrington would have occasioned the wretchedness and ruin of the other party and your mother and and your friends what a pain it would have been to them urged pen's companion little knowing what grief and annoyance these good people had already suffered not a word to my mother pen cried out in a state of great alarm she would never get over it an esclandre of that sort would kill her i do believe and he added with a knowing air and as if like a young rascal of a lovelace he had been engaged in what are called affaires de coeur all his life the best way when a danger of that sort menaces is not to face it but to turn one's back on it and run and were you very much smitten warrington asked hum said lovelace she dropped her h's but she was a dear girl oh clarissas of this life oh you poor little ignorant vain foolish maidens if you did but know the way in which the lovelaces speak of you if you could but hear jack talking to tom across the coffee-room of a club or see ned taking your poor little letters out of his cigar-case and handing them over to charlie and billy and harry across the mess-room table you would not be so eager to write or so ready to listen there is a sort of crime which is not complete unless the lucky rogue boasts of it afterwards and the man who betrays your honour in the first place is pretty sure remember that to betray your secret too it's hard to fight and it's easy to fall said warrington gloomily and as you say pendennis when a danger like this is imminent the best way is to turn your back on it and run 
after this little discourse upon a subject about which pen would have talked a great deal more eloquently a month back the conversation reverted to the plans for going abroad and arthur eagerly pressed his friend to be of the party warrington was a part of the family a part of the cure arthur said he should not have half the pleasure without warrington but george said no he couldn't go he must stop at home and take pen's place the other remarked that that was needless for shandon was now come back to london and arthur was entitled to a holiday don't press me warrington said i can't go i've particular engagements i'm best at home i've not got the money we two travel that's the long and short of it for travelling costs money you know this little obstacle seemed fatal to pen he mentioned it to his mother mrs pendennis was very sorry mr warrington had been exceedingly kind but she supposed he knew best about his affairs and then no doubt she reproached herself for his selfishness and wishing to carry the boy off and have him to herself altogether what is this i hear from pen my dear mr warrington the major asked one day when the pair were alone and after warrington's objection had been stated to him not go with us we can't hear of such a thing pen won't get well without you i promise you i'm not going to be his nurse he must have somebody with him that's stronger and gayer and better able to amuse him than a rheumatic old fogey like me i should go to carlsbad very likely when i've seen you people settle down travelling costs nothing nowadays or so little and and pray warrington remember that i was your father's very old friend and if you and your brother are not on such terms as to to enable you to to anticipate your younger brother's allowance i beg you to make me your banker for hasn't pen been getting into your debt these three weeks past during which you have been doing what he informs me is his work with such exemplary talent and genius begad still in spite of this kind offer and unheard-of generosity on the part of the major george warrington refused and said he would stay at home but it was with a faltering voice and an irresolute accent which showed how much he would like to go though his tongue persisted in saying nay but the major's persevering benevolence was not to be balked in this way at the tea-table that evening helen happening to be absent from the room for the moment looking for pen who had gone to roost old pendennis returned to the charge and rated warrington for refusing to join in their excursion isn't it ungallant miss bell he said turning to that young lady isn't it unfriendly here we have been the happiest party in the world and this odious selfish creature breaks it up miss bell's long eyelashes looked down towards her teacup and warrington blushed hugely but did not speak neither did miss bell speak but when he blushed she blushed too you ask him to come my dear said the benevolent old gentleman and then perhaps he will listen to you why should mr warrington listen to me asked the young lady putting the query to her teaspoon seemingly and not to the major ask him you've not asked him said pen's artless uncle i should be very glad indeed if mr warrington would come remarked laura to the teaspoon would you said george she looked up and said yes their eyes met i will go anywhere you ask me or do anything said george lowly and forcing out the words as if they gave him pain old pendennis was delighted the affectionate old creature clapped his hands and cried bravo bravo it's a bargain a bargain begad shake hands on it young people and laura with a look full of tender brightness put out her hand to warrington he took hers his face indicated a strange agitation he seemed to be about to speak when from pen's neighbouring room helen entered looking at them 
as the candle which she held lighted her pale frightened face laura blushed more red than ever and withdrew her hand what is it helen asked it's a bargain we have been making my dear creature said the major in his most caressing voice we have just bound over mr warrington in a promise to come abroad with us indeed helen said End of chapter fifty five